Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. We spend a lot of time on podcasts like this predicting the future in various ways. But as we do that, we know life is really unpredictable. And as the scripture says, we do not, uh, we do not know uh, the number of our days. And that's why it's a really important thing to have a will uh, to protect yourself and your family. Christianity Today has partnered with Epic Will to walk you through the entire process of creating a will in as little as 10 minutes. You don't have to have a law degree uh, to be able to walk through this, and that's why it's really helpful. So visit morect.com, that's M-O-R-C-T.com, will, that's morect.com slash will to get started today. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. Last time that we were together, we were talking about uh, whether or not uh, the Bible addresses questions of social injustice from people who are are saying, well, that would be a distraction uh, for us to talk about that. Let's instead simply talk about the gospel and about uh, disciple-making and so forth, but let's not talk about our place in terms of social injustice. And the sort of charge that comes against anyone who does speak to issues of of justice in the public arena, well, that's social gospel, or well, that's Marxism, or that's whatever, the labels that people use to, to dismiss it. If you haven't listened to the first part, part one, go back and listen to that first, because it's going to make better sense of what we're talking about today. What I was arguing last time is that essentially... There are two questions here that the Bible poses and answers repeatedly. One of those questions is, who is my neighbor? Um, We talked about that mostly last time. And then we introduced that second question of uh, what is the gospel? And we're talking about the gospel. Uh, we're, We're talking about something that before it is good news defines what has gone wrong. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with the world that you're in? And that is something that is total in terms of our depravity. It has everything to do, there, there's no part of me that is not untouched by uh, human sin. There is no part of the way that we operate together uh, that is not untouched by human sin. And the Lordship of Christ addresses all of it. So it addresses the man in Proverbs chapter 7 who is seeking out adultery. It addresses the brothers of Joseph who band together and sell him into slavery. And they can't say, well, this is, this is a social issue. This is a family matter. This is a tribal matter. This is a political matter. This is a, a social question of whether or not you ought to be able to trade people in terms of uh, slavery. No, this is a matter of sin. And so 
when you say, well, but the Bible uh, doesn't indicate that we are saved by whether or not we are socially just uh, to one another. Of course not. We're not saved on the basis of our personal morality either. And so for someone to say, well, I'm not saved because I am faithful to my wife, therefore, it doesn't matter whether or not I'm faithful to my wife, that's a distraction, is completely at odds with what the Old and New Testaments together uh, teach. We're saved through Jesus Christ, but we are saved through a Jesus Christ who regenerates our psyches and who informs our consciences and moves us forward with consciences that are then made alive to Christ. So there are going to be some things that are going to be speaking particularly to your conscience depending upon what sort of responsibility that you that you have. The New Testament speaks a particular word to husbands that doesn't speak to wives and vice versa. Bible speaks a particular word to parents that doesn't speak to children and vice versa. Bible speaks a particular word to those who are wealthy as opposed to those who are impoverished. Bible speaks a particular word to kings as opposed to those who are under kings. Uh, It doesn't mean that that these uh, moralities are relative at all. It means that you have people who have certain responsibilities who then then bear the question of whether or not those responsibilities as they're carrying them out are right or wrong. You can say to uh, someone who is uh, homeless and in a gutter, here are all of the things that please God when it comes to the way that you treat your employees. And his response would be, I don't have any employees. Uh, I, I don't have uh, any of those responsibilities. Okay, That doesn't mean, though, that you don't speak to the person who does have employees that he's treating wrongly. Well, the Bible speaks to issues that are right and to issues that are wrong. Now, what what some people would say is, well, you know, this is a distraction because the Bible doesn't speak exhaustively uh, to these these issues of justice. There are all sorts of things where we may may disagree. Right, of course. The the same thing uh, applies to personal morality. There are some things uh, in the Scripture that speak directly to issues of personal morality where there is no question or deviation. So uh, if I have uh, someone in my congregation who is committing adultery, I don't have to sit around and think, well, do I really have grounds to speak to that? Yeah, I don't do that, but maybe that's good for them. No, Bible speaks definitively there. I come in and say, thus saith the Lord, repent of your sin. If I walk into uh, my church on Sunday morning or if I walk out into my uh, neighborhood and I see a man beating up an old lady, I don't have to sit around and question, well, how do I morally evaluate that? I come up and say, stop, enough. This is, this is not going to happen. Then there are going to be some other issues in personal morality where there are certain principles that the Scripture speaks to, but doesn't necessarily give us specific applications. 
terms of personal morality. Someone uh, may say, well, uh, the Bible says to flee from occultism. And one Christian may say, well, that means because the Harry Potter series uh, talks about things that are magical and occult, that means we can't read them. And another person would say, well, uh, I think that the Harry Potter series is perfectly fine. Uh, Okay, well, these two Christians may disagree on the application of that, and uh, the church shouldn't come in and adjudicate between those two things. That doesn't mean, though, that we say, well, occultism doesn't matter. The, the, the call to flee idolatry and occultism doesn't matter. No, of course it does. You're not arguing over that. You're arguing over, does this fit into that prohibition? People may have questions of, well, should we have our children in public schools? Should we have our children in private schools, Christian schools, classical schools, uh, homeschool, all of these questions? Well, uh, church shouldn't come in and say, This is the way that you need to educate your children. But what do we do? We come in and we provide principles uh, of what it means for parents to have responsibility over their children, to make sure that their children are being taught and built up in the Word of God, and that may have different applications in different settings and different different situations. And we may have disagreements about how that, that works out. Parents are to lead their children toward faith and godliness. That doesn't mean that the church necessarily sets a particular time for family devotions or a length for family devotions. No, Deuteronomy 6, you teach your children. And that's sometimes going to look different in in different families. And then there are going to be other issues in terms of personal morality that the Bible doesn't speak to at all, except at the level of uh, of not sinning against conscience. So Romans 14, some people think, that uh, in the, the church at Rome, that eating only vegetables is the way to please God. Other people say, no, God has given to us everything to eat as long as we receive it with thanksgiving. Paul comes in and says, okay, don't force the person whose conscience sees eating meat as a sin to eat meat because you're, you're causing him to act against conscience. You can live together and disagree on those things. The same thing applies to what happens in uh, what we do together out there in our societies, whether in families or in communities or in tribes or, or in, in whatever way that we organize ourselves. We may say, well, you know, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what sort of business you ought to go into. The Bible gives you freedom there if you're a businessman, but you come up and say, yeah, uh, I'm in business, and my business is uh, trafficking in kidnapped young girls. No, thus saith the Lord. This is this is an evil in the sight of God. Uh, well, Bible doesn't doesn't really speak to uh, my my business decisions. So I've got a little bit of real estate going on, and uh, then I've got a little bit of pornography going on. No, thus saith the Lord. This is wrong in the sight of God. Then there are going to be other issues where we have principles that we ought to agree on, that we may disagree about what exactly is happening, exactly as we do in personal morality. So uh, someone may say, the foster care system in my community is unjust because it is keeping children institutionalized and not allowing them to flourish in homes. God understands and hears the cries of children. God has said it is good for children to be in families, 
and that's how children thrive. We need to care about these these children. Someone else uh, may come forward and say, no, you don't understand what's going on with the foster care system in our community. The foster care system in our community is not keeping children out of homes. The foster care system is doing the best it can, and it can't get families to sign up to be foster parents. Okay, well, these are two people, they're not disagreeing about the Bible's command to care for widows and orphans in their distress. They're not disagreeing about the need for a mother and father for children. They're disagreeing about what's going on on the ground. That's what they're disagreeing about. And then there are going to be other issues when it comes to public justice uh, questions where we agree to disagree. The Bible doesn't speak uh, directly to those things, and so we don't uh, speak to them with uh, any sort of authority from the Word of God. I may say, well, the Bible doesn't speak to uh, the tax system. The Bible doesn't have, a, uh, doesn't have a policy on what the income tax should be or on what the sales tax should be. That's true, unless the government were to come in and say, uh, we're going to tax only poor people, or we're going to tax only Christian people, or we're going to tax only uh, black people, or we're going to tax this particular widow over here who has a house near the railroad that we want to build, and we're going to tax her 100%. We don't say, ah, that's IRS code. Bible doesn't speak to that. We're going to say that is unjust. The Bible speaks to the way that we treat the poor, the way that we treat uh, widows. This is not a new problem. Uh, The question is, does this have anything to do with me, and how then do I go forward in following Christ? So just like those tax collectors that come before John or uh, Zacchaeus in his public responsibilities uh, as a tax collector who is confronted then with Jesus, we don't defraud, we don't do things that are unjust. And you simply cannot say, well, social justice, social injustice doesn't have anything to do with the Bible because the gospel speaks to something else. That's that's the equivalent of saying the gospel doesn't have anything to do with sin. Crucifying innocent people was classified as a social injustice. Human slavery and segregation and lynching were classified as social injustice. And frankly, even the people who say, we won't be distracted by this, this is, this, is, this is not something the Bible speaks to, again, don't even believe that themselves, both because they would have to completely ignore huge sections of the Bible and also because they don't practice it. I remember Years ago, I knew uh, a man uh, who was uh, in Christian ministry uh, that I knew to be really, really liberal on the issue of abortion. He was, he was pro-choice on the question of abortion. I was horrified by this. I couldn't understand how his conscience could, uh, could, could be so seared uh, when it comes to uh, unborn children. And I heard him preach one time when the subject of abortion came up, and this is how he did it. What he did was to stand up and say, you know, there's a lot of conversation out there about abortion. Let me tell you one thing. If we would teach our children sexual morality, then we wouldn't have to worry about this question of abortion. If we, if we would get people saved, then we wouldn't have to worry about 
these questions of abortion. He received amen from a lot of people that were there in the room listening to him. And why? Because they didn't understand what he was saying. Uh, What he was saying is, let's worry about the personal aspect of abortion, personal sexual morality. Let's deal with personal regeneration, but let's not address the structure and the system that has an industry, Planned Parenthood, and others saying, we can advocate for you how to get rid of your, quote, problem, uh, end quote. The, the, the legal system that would say that before the bar of the law, the unborn child has no value. The, the cultural message that says that abortion is something that is an act of liberation. We only speak to the question of whether or not you are personally regenerated and then everything else will somehow work itself out. That is not the way that the Scripture speaks at all. The lawyer that speaks to Jesus is trying to to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? What does it mean for me to, to follow the way of God? And Jesus says, you're walking down the road and you see a man beaten. And your question is, does this matter to me? Which means, does this matter to God? Now, people will say, well, but we're not going to be able to ultimately fix this. I heard one person say, I was, I was horrified to hear a preacher years ago say, uh, you know, the issue is, is hell. And it doesn't matter to me whether or not my lost neighbor goes to hell, a serial killer or a policeman, if he's going to hell. Well, it might not matter to you if you're in a gated community uh, and, and, and you're able to give no thought to what's happening to your neighbors. But if your, neighbor, if your next door neighbor is a serial killer, it matters to the children and the vulnerable people who are living around that serial killer. And to say, well, we're all under condemnation. We're all going to hell anyway, apart from the blood of Christ. So everything that we have is by sheer grace. Therefore, no one has any right to say, I'm being treated unjustly is completely at odds with what the Bible explicitly tells us, that God himself hears the cries of the oppressed. Now, again, we may disagree sometimes about what's oppression and what's not, and that means we need to, we need to look into something and figure it out. What we cannot say is that that is a distraction. It's a distraction to the priest to go off on the side of the road when he is heading toward his mission. It's a distraction for the Levite to pay attention to what's going on on the Jericho Road when he is on a uh, mission uh, going forward. Jesus says that distraction is not accidental. That distraction is itself part of the mission that we have been called to do. God forgives us of our sin but he defines for us what sin is. And he says, if we are following Jesus, then that means that our consciences are shaped to care about what Jesus cares about and to care about who Jesus cares about. 
Are we going to sometimes be mistaken in that? Sure, we are in personal morality too, all the time. Are we going to grow uh, in, in wisdom in, in those things? I hope so. We need to in terms of uh, personal morality as well as public morality. Are we going to be able to ultimately fix everything around us? Absolutely not. The, the, the man beaten on the side of the road at Jericho ultimately dies. All of the orphans and the poor and the widows that the prophets are speaking up for and that God is speaking up for in the Psalms and James and every place else ultimately die. Does that mean it's worth it? Yes. Because these are people created in the image of God and ignoring those cries and needs not only does something wrong to one's neighbor for which we will be held accountable, it also does something to us. It turns us into a different sort of person. It's a terrible thing to say obedience to Jesus doesn't matter. Because I'm not saved by my obedience to Jesus, that means that obedience to Jesus doesn't matter, therefore I'll do uh, whatever I want. That is repugnant in the sight of God, whether that applies to what you do by yourself or with what you do gathering a group of people around you or what you sit back and see happening by other people and applaud. That's a terrible thing. A conscience is an awful thing to shred. And we didn't learn that from some social movement. We didn't learn that from some politician. We learned that from Jesus, who said, the whole Bible is given to you by inspiration of God. The whole Bible is to shape and to form your conscience as the people who have been delivered from sin and death and the curse and the devil. And that means that you walk forward as those who seek to do right, to live justly, to love neighbor. And where did you learn that? In the gospel according to Jesus. This is Russell Moore. You've been listening to Signposts.